0: Hello and happy new year, Coastline Covenant Church. We are excited for the first episode of 2023 to be about our brand new teaching series about the book of Esther. I sit down with Sean and Nikki to talk about the background of the book of Esther, why this is the perfect book for Coastline in this time, and all the things that we hope our congregation gets out of this new teaching series. So we hope you're as excited as we are for this new series. And if you're not, I promise, after you listen to this episode, you will be on fire for the book of Esther. We are excited for everything that is to come in Coastline in 2023. 2023 and we will see you next week every single week after that well hello and welcome to a very exciting episode of the coastline covenant podcast exciting for several reasons first is i'm sitting here with nikki and it's sean hey guys how you doing what's up hunter nikki doing good anything to say
1: no, I'm glad you're Roughly quiet over there. I, we literally <laughs> no. just started.
0: So.
2: I'm glad you're here <laughs> because I'm when correct. Hunter and I do this by ourselves, it's unpredictable. Yes, yeah, you can keep know, us just go walking off the, the street. Rails. We really do.
0: Sean okay. has Nikki on the podcast for a vital reason, and that will become very clear shortly, but it was mostly for insurance. It's like, okay, at least I know if there's another body in this room, we're not going to just talk about the 1975 the entire time. You're the filter. Your job is
2: to help us restrain all of our worst impulses.
0: I don't want to be rude. But if Nikki's job was to just be a filter for any of
2: us, you've not done a very good job. (sighs) That's
1: true. (laughs) I failed. Especially
2: (laughs) Lloyd. But I want you to think about how far Hunter and I have come, though, from when you first started working with both of us. I mean... That was a long time ago, Nikki, yeah. but we've we've both have grown up a lot. Nikki's and, known
0: me since I was like 11. You're, part, know, you're a
2: part of that it's story. Great. If there's any maturity in us, sure, Megan and Melinda get a lot of the credit, but you, you get, I some, get some I get some. I get a little bit. Yeah.
0: What what I else think else also the- Megan would say you've helped mature her a lot too, oh. <laughs> just in life. Um, this is actually not a podcast about Esther. This is just a honey roast of Nikki, where we're just going to go and be <laughs> really nice to her. Well, no. it's when you, no. it's opposite of a it's roast. It's like a nice roast. It's a nice roast.
2: Oh, Made famous by
0: Winston from New Girl. In the episode where he, it's his birthday or something and he gets a honey roast. Aww. Oh, yeah. It doesn't
2: go well for him. Uh, it's like, that's like yeah. the fourth to last episode of the whole New Girl series.
0: Uh, it's certainly wow. not. It's like... Nick I just and, finished it. Nick and Jess break up. And Winston wants to be a cop. Like, it's early on. It's not the last episode.
2: Hunter, you're wrong on this one. You're
1: thinking about... Do they bring it back? You're thinking
0: about Ferguson's funeral.
2: I... I don't know. I now. can't
1: believe we're having Show this notes. conversation right now. Show notes. <laughs> Show notes, yeah.
0: And make sure you guys stream New Girl on Netflix. Offer code COASTLINE for a free month of Netflix. <laughs> no, and I'm also oh excited because it's the first podcast of 2023, the year yes. of our Lord. So, um, you know, it's going to be a lot more content coming this year on the Coastline Covenant podcast. So what um, did you do for New Year's Eve, Hunter? Uh, well, <laughs> you would be surprised <laughs> to know what I did for New Year's Eve. Me and Megan and Sassy we went camping and the craziest thing happened. You have no, you're ready for the craziest thing in the world. What happened Hunter? Sassy got attacked by a coyote. Really? But she won. Oh, you. she should. came back into the tent we, we let her out to go to the bathroom for like a minute and we heard like a crazy noise like like you would not believe like the guttural noise like it was seriously okay, like demonic
1: I'm going to be the filter right now what <laughs> Hunter is lying profusely right now right, it wasn't a coyote you it need to was know a fox this. it wasn't a coyote this is all made up I am, I'm playing my filter card right because, now because, because we are recording this before Christmas. So <laughs> none of us have even experienced it. Yes, yeah. Yet. Yeah. And, a little peek
0: behind I, the curtain. I
1: it, am impressed at how you can just do that on the spot. And yeah. if
2: you knew how tired Hunter is of sassy, you would know that he probably would have <laughs> let the coyote have it. I
0: love, as I famously said on the previous week's episode, the dog is a net gain. I am happy with the dog. If I, <laughs> we talk gain. about this a lot, we talk about this a lot, Megan and I, it went the dog. If she got attacked by a coyote, what would she do? And you, you talk about this a lot. Well, yeah, because we walk the dog at night, and in our neighborhood there are coyote sightings sure. constantly, yes. uh, or at least next door tells me. And my goodness, you would you would think that Megan believes that this dog is some sort of like Hulk Hogan esque creature. She's like, no, it would eat a coyote. I said, this dog is afraid of when I open the fridge too fast. <laughs> it's not going to beat a coyote in a I, fight.
1: Don't you think? Like when threatened, she, she is constantly was- threatened. If
0: if your dog isn't sleeping 16 to 18 hours a day, it is stressed. And Sassy will spend a lot of time sleeping, but a lot of time just being very anxious. So I do not think she'd win in a coyote fight. And I hope if that the she coyote never attacked yeah. Megan. Oh, she
2: would jump. Sassy in. would win. Yeah, because
0: if Sassy herself
1: was attacked, no, no, no she wouldn't have a chance. <laughs> and you, poor thing. What <laughs> a
0: wonderful way to start the year. Yeah. Violence and animals and filters and oh, man. This is why I love my job. Uh, That's why I love the podcast. You're supposed to keep us on track. remember? Yeah. Yeah, Here we are. I
1: tried. (laughs) I really did.
0: (laughs) Well, trying's not going to be good enough in 2023. We need you to succeed in being a filter.
1: Okay. This is a legitimate
0: operation in the podcast. And I think that this is going to be the year we monetize. I think this is going to be the year we become Christian famous. Sell some ads. We're going to sell some ad space. Okay. You've got some dreams. I have some dreams in 2023. And Nikki, I need you to do your job better so my dreams can come true. (laughs)
1: Okay, I'll I'll, I'll make that's my New Year's resolution to 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 do to be a filter better. Yeah. What is
2: the optimal um, ad buyer for the Cosine podcast?
0: That's a great question. Who do you think is
2: gonna be our first?
0: Well, uh, it's definitely going to be something like a Christian like reality company, you know, like it's going to be some like Jesus wants you to have a home and with, you know,
2: fishes and loaves houses kelly's he- corner
0: kelly's corner come, come
2: buy a sandwich no a, they're not gonna some sponsor. horse tack. do
0: you think someone at kelly's corner is actively searching out our podcast and it's like hey all of your hundred of listeners would really benefit from our sandwiches we're going to buy ad space now can you believe we're going to cut this whole intro <laughs> can you guys believe the podcast just started for people <laughs> uh, anyway we're here filter yeah Yeah. nikki filter talking about kelly's corner we never talked about kelly's corner before now nikki's here (laughs) filter we are doing a new teaching series here at coastline and um as per usual we talk before the the series starts and we get a little bit of a sense of sean your space your headspace your the places you're studying the things you're thinking about um as, as you head into this series and i'm really excited about this one because this is a I I think we say the word complex a lot when it comes to teaching series, but this is a very complex one. This story um, is one that translates into our culture in some ways. And in other ways is incredibly foreign and difficult. And there's a whole element here that you don't often get with Bible stories, which is the idea of like gender and how gender affects how stories are told and how Mm. heroes are told in stories and how, You know, villains are told in stories. And so it's fascinating. And if you haven't seen the title or guessed yet, the book is the book of Esther. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's probably one of the least preached books of the Bible as a whole. I think that there are some out of context, things that come up in Esther a lot. Um, Nikki, I think we'll, we'll probably chat about that in a bit, but, um, the story of Esther is interesting. It's complex. It's very, very unique to scripture. Um, you don't really see this story outside of the Bible. And so I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be really good for our congregation. And so Sean, I'll, I'll start with you. Why Esther? Why now? What about this book?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think that's probably the question a lot of people are asking. So when, in between uh, Rolling Hills Covenant and Coastline, uh, the, the Covenant Church uh, denomination came to me and said, hey, <laughs> we're, we're worried about you. We need you to take some time off. And so I went and took a two-month sabbatical uh, just to kind of clear my head. And part of that time I spent in Catalina. My family has a, a cabin there. And so I was there alone, just kind of getting away. And just kind of in my Bible reading, I ended up somehow, and, and I think it's just simply by the Lord's direction, I ended up in Esther. Um, and just reading it, and from the moment I read it, it profoundly moved me and encouraged me, Um, and was a part of me kind of, uh, I think, healing in that season, and also for me kind of getting a vision for the future, and also for me kind of, I think, uh, partly building my trust in the Lord and in his sovereignty, Uh, because I just felt like my own life. I didn't really know what was happening in that moment, and so uh, Esther, I actually sat down that weekend, and I wrote the first draft of the Esther series just kind of sketching it because I could see how this thing could work. And I wanted to preach it, but I sat on it. I mean, that was almost two years ago now that I wrote the first draft of this and I've kind of had it in the back of my mind. And when it time, time came to cast some vision for what we're going to do in 2023, um, I had a couple ideas and I presented Esther, but I presented also, I think doing one on the prayers of in scripture. I had a few ideas and um I wanted to do Esther. I was nervous to do Esther because I knew it was hard. I was pushing for anything other than Esther, but everybody kept telling me, we think you should do it. And I thought, okay, then um, I've got a heart for it, but I'm nervous to do it. Uh, But it seems like God's kind of opening up the way. Why do you think
0: people wanted to hear Esther?
2: I think partly because nobody's ever heard Esther preached. Um, It is not your, I think largely most churches live in the New Testament and they're preaching. Um, and we don't spend a lot of time in the old. Obviously I love the old Testament. It's like my favorite thing to do is to preach the old. So for me, I I love to do that. Um, I think that it's also one of those books and, And Nikki, this is probably where I'd love to have you weigh in on this. I don't think a lot of men in the church have read Esther. Um, probably the same is true with, with Ruth. I don't think we, um, it's just not something that men have really spent time in. And so We're unfamiliar with it because it's in the Old Testament. I think men are unfamiliar with it. Um, And so since we don't know it, um, I think that became some intrigue into doing it. But also, it's a fascinating story. There's honestly, I think there's nothing quite like it in the Bible. And so I think that grabs some of our attention. But I think we wanted a chance to give our people some exposure to a book that they just don't know. I mean, would you agree that it's...
1: Yeah, I mean, I've never... I don't think I've ever heard an actual sermon series on Esther, right? I've done various Bible studies over the years. Typically it's women's groups looking at female characters in scripture. Mm-hmm. So Esther's a week, right? Yeah. Um, but not typically. And so you really, Esther's a hero for women, um, but mainly for just that that point where, you know, like there, there's the main line, um, for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's the hero because of the moment where it's such a time as this, you know, and you hear women kind of use this and say, what's your Esther moment when you were able to, um, recognize, you know, that maybe what's happening in your life, that there's a reason behind it. And then she kind of follows it up with that great line of, if I perish, I perish. Mm -hmm. It's like that flip of, courage that she takes on and so women I think really cherish the book of Esther but we cherish it because of primarily that section and and you kind of miss the um all the stuff with Mordecai and Haman and like there's so much more to the book um but we really focus on her because there obviously there's not a lot of female heroes in scripture that are highlighted to the degree that she is you know a lot of female what I would say heroes are side characters Mm -hmm. but Esther you know the book is titled after her that so that for, for a woman, that's a big deal. This mm-hmm. So she's, she's someone that I would say I really cherish. Um, and I, I have done studies on it, but like you said, they're not, they're not all encompassing studies. They, it's really just honed in on that one kind of chapter. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So when is your Esther moment? <laughs> how do you know when you're having? Yeah. A how thing? do you know? When, <laughs> can you have more than one Esther moment?
1: Yes. Okay. You absolutely okay, can. But Can you clarify yeah. that?
2: Like what is, when people say or you're having yeah. your like, have you had an Esther moment or this is your Esther moment? What are they saying? I can just see it at Hobby Lobby. Well, right okay,
1: now um, I think like an Esther moment would be a moment of courage mm-hmm. um, where you're willing to step into something that you're afraid to step into. I've I've had people like, um, I had at least three different women say to me during COVID when I was doing stuff for women um, that I was put in place for such a time as this, like they, they were encouraged by my ministry during COVID. And so that, you know, if you're, you, if you're saying that as an encouragement to someone that you're kind of saying this is kind of an Esther moment for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so it's something that I think I, I look at Esther and I see a lot of power dynamics, the male, female power dynamics. And here's a woman who, and you see it in the book, um, She's so sexualized and she's so has no like role the whole time. She's nervous. She feels a little skittish. I'm afraid Mm -hmm. to do this. And yet she has this incredible, powerful moment that women don't typically get. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's just kind of, you know, I think oftentimes women do in daily life feel a little powerless. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's even just the like, I'm afraid to walk down the street at night kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's just like, that's a daily experience for a woman. And so an Esther moment is a moment where you're kind of, um, exuding a little power Mm. in a way, like not in a bad way, in a really good way, like finally kind of saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to step into something that I've always been afraid to step into. Mm I,
0: yeah, I, I, I really struggle. And I think as a man in the church, there's one part of me that can think about Esther. And then as a seminary student, there's another part of me that thinks about Esther. Um, You know, my mic's giving me a little feedback, so I apologize if you hear that. Um, But I think about like the the Ruth Esther, like Bible study series. It's like they put them together Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it couldn't be more different. It could not be two more different stories in the Bible. And, you know, there's a lot of things that they do have in common. But I think the one thing they have in common is that the, you know, name of a woman is the title of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I think about that also in a church setting as like a congregant of like, yeah, why isn't this book preached more? Some of the themes in it are very prominent throughout the whole Bible. And I think that even your most like, quote you know, like reformed conservative people who maybe would be a little bit uncomfortable with like a woman's voice being in church. Like the idea of like sovereignty and God's power and God working through culture and culture changing for God. Like these things come up in Esther and they're, they're big points of the book. And so I I wonder if it's like the title or if it's the fact God's name's not mentioned once. Like what what is it? Go ahead, Nikki. Well,
1: I think it's just the sordid nature. I, 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 the fact that Vashti is asked to come out naked wearing only a crown, Mm -hmm. right? Like I, 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 so one of the things I love about Esther is that she is heroic in the end, but Esther's also a really painful book for me as a woman, because Mm -hmm. you see the, the sexuality and the role that women are called to play in that regard. Mm -hmm. It's just so painful. It just, it brings you to these places of hurt as a woman to see Vashti, told she needs to do this um, and her now saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that for you. And now, you know, the way that she's treated because of that, mm-hmm. for the, the fact that Esther has to prepare for a year and has to please a king sexually in order to be promoted. And even when she does, then all of this whole harem is now set aside until he decides to call them back. Like it's mm-hmm. the, just the, the pain and the powerlessness that women experience, um, in these realms, it, it just brings all that up. And so I think studying the book of Esther from the pulpit is hard because how do you talk about all of that?
2: Yeah. And Hunter, you mentioned it, um, God, the name Yahweh are never mentioned in the book of, of Esther. I think Hunter, you maybe can remember this. I think it's like one of two books in the Bible where God is not mentioned. I think it's like this and song of Solomon like where God's just totally absent, like is not even in the story. And that's the hard part if you're gonna preach it. Where is God in the story of Esther is really hard to find. So it is challenging because of the circumstances. It deals with things that are, aren't really pleasant and are hard to hard to look at directly. It's also hard to find out where God is in the story. And I'll say this finally. I think a lot of the preaching that I try to do is to preach Ultimately, Old Testament pointing towards Jesus, like with the hope of Jesus. So how do you do that in the book of Esther where you can't even point to God, right? It's not like can you can't point to God. It's hard to point to Jesus. So for those reasons, the degree of difficulty in preaching is very high. I think if you're reading it, it's a fascinating story, but it's hard to figure out how you do a quiet time in it. You have to have it guided in kind of a way to have somebody walk you through it.
0: And I remember my first experience really studying the book of Esther was in seminary. My first, no, my last Hebrew class with, was Ruth Esther. Mm-hmm. And we just sat and read them.
2: The two girl books.
0: The two girl books, yeah. Like Which are nothing alike. No, no, like I just said. But like <laughs> you have this course where you're sitting there and you're supposed to like read Hebrew and understand like this is God's word and like this is the holy text. and And you're reading this book. About like colors, like the first mm-hmm. chapter of Esther has so many words that are only used once in the whole Bible because they're describing like these big ornate things and these big mm-hmm. beautiful like tapestry and all the food and all the colors. And I remember thinking in in Hebrew like this is pointless, like this is truly pointless. And I, I bet that for a lot of people in the church, a book like Esther could be pointless because the name of God's not in it, mm-hmm. and it has all these like intense themes of like sexuality and power and all that stuff. So Sean, as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Can you see landmines? And are you
2: nervous about no, that? No, but this is, why, this is why I'm actually really passionate about the book. Esther's life looks more like ours than any other character I can think of in the Bible. I mean, Elijah has these profound moments where God's presence comes to him on the mountain, where fire descends from the sky. Um, John the Baptist sees the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus. The disciples see these miracles. Moses has burning bush moments. Esther has none of that she has no idea what God is doing. She doesn't know if God is present. She doesn't know if God has forgotten her. She is doing her best all the time and never sure if she's exactly doing it the right way. And in that way, that is so much more common to our lives with God than any other person. And so if you've ever wondered if God is with you if he's still moving, if you're doing the right thing, if you're making the right decisions, if you don't know if God's with you in some sort of way, then Esther is a book where you can really see that very common human experience of just struggling to try to do your best in the day-to-day circumstances, which at times is overwhelming and crazy. That's why I loved it. And for me, that's why it really ministered to me was Esther trying to figure out where God is in the story was, dude, that was my story on that trip, you know, just trying to figure out, God, where are you in my crazy life right now? So what you're saying is like, you have these Bible heroes who are complex men,
0: you know, David and, you know, Paul pre conversion, like, but I think there are so many parts of Christianity where it's like, be like these people versus like Esther and Mordecai as well are very like morally ambiguous. Like they don't always do what you expect. They don't always quote do like the right thing. Mm -hmm. And as a pastor, Sean, as someone who's going to preach, um, uh, you know, bulk of this series, how do you then like have an application point where you're like, Hey, check out the book Esther. Don't do this. Well, or like, Hey, check this out. Do
2: this. Well, let me, okay. So I'm, I find myself reacting to your comment. I'm trying to put words to why, um, <laughs> I struggle with the idea about Bible heroes. Um, and maybe that's because I think ultimately God is the hero in the story. And rarely do we get a Bible character who would fit the label of hero. They all are pretty messy. And most of the time, their lives are portrayed without varnish, both as a, yes, there's things to emulate and things to be like, but also warnings of, don't do this. Mm -hmm. And you could just, I mean, gosh, you could probably do that mentally, whether that be, you know, Paul, who was once a murderer of Christians and then becomes an apostle, or Peter, who denies Jesus three times and can't walk on the water or Abraham who gives his wife up twice to Abimelech. to, I mean, Noah, who's drunk. Like, it's just like with all of these characters, the good and bad is fully mixed together and it's always presented there to us. So we could, I think, again, learn from that, that their lives look a lot like ours hmm. in terms of um, just struggling in our discipleship and obedience to follow God. We just struggle with it. And, I think the encouragement is is when we struggle in our faith and when we struggle with our discipleship, we have models of people who God loved nonetheless, and used nonetheless, even though they were limited. And so I think that's that's when I'm here. Like, what do you do with these kind of characters? Well, that's all characters. That's all of us. Is our lives are this big mixture. And I think that's part of um, Esther. I mean, Esther does not. Um, how do you how do you want to say it? It's not like Esther's this hero the whole time. In fact, when do you meet her, Nikki, she's young and she's inexperienced. She's probably 13, 14, 15. She's a young virgin. I mean, she's not this bold, brave woman. She's thrown into this machine of an empire and she's just trying to live. She's just trying to live.
1: Yeah. I think that's why she's so relatable is I think a lot of the story is things happening to her mm. and her trying to figure out how do I best respond? And that's how a lot of us live life, right? Mm. It's, um, not these, it, it, so much of life happens to you and now you have to go, wait, God, are you in this? You have to ask the big questions when life happens to you and God, how do I respond to this? And you have Esther who I think for the most part responds pretty well, you know, like she's always taking advice. She's always kind of asking Mordecai or he's giving her advice and she's following it because he's much older and mm. cares for her and wants the best for the Jews. And, and so it, it she's always trying to he grab onto wisdom when she can, but I, I do think a, she's responding to the things that happened to her, not creating her own mess per se. And hmm. and you see her responding, I think, well, yeah. and and I appreciate that about her. That's where she just feels kind of like me, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: So we talked about relatability, her story, God using it. So, so what is the story of Esther? We've said several times this is not a very often preached, read book of the Bible. Maybe someone listening to this has never engaged with the book of Esther what is it about, what happens, what's the story?
2: Yeah, the story is of a young girl who is swept up by um, the Persian Empire and is brought into um, the harem of the king. And from that, she actually becomes the queen of Persia. This Jewish girl becomes the queen of Persia. But they don't know she's Jewish. They don't. And that means that suddenly she's brought in this conflict between the Jews and their ancient Enemies, it's not the Amalekites, Hunter. I keep saying it's the Amalekites, but it's the Oh the Agagites. Agagites. They are brought into um, she's sucked into this conflict between these generational enemies, and she is at the right place at the right time. For a moment such as this. <laughs> yeah. To help deliver and protect her people. Um and so that that is the story. So if you when you read this, if you before we do the series, it's meant to be read like as a melodrama. So I just want you to think about like the cheesiest kind of story it has those elements in it when this so esther tells the story of parim the day where god delivers uh, israel from their enemies and when it's read at parim this whole story um, the enemies are booed in mm. fact when they when they tell the story they <laughs> boo over the name of um of haman they boo his name so that you can never actually hear his name read the, the crowd does that's funny it's that's a big so funny. <laughs> fanciful theatrical joyful rambunctious um, telling of the story, and it's a party. Purim is a party, so it's this dramatic, fun, and it's actually in Jewish culture. It's it's a children's story uh, where it is like right, isn't that crazy to hear? Because I mean, it begins with a <laughs> open, harem.
0: Open up the Book of Esther and read it to your five year old tonight. But everybody. yeah, like, you but heard I think, it here first.
2: Yeah, um, and,
1: Veggie Tales. They did a whole. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we could do sense. a whole tangent yeah. about yeah. how I've
0: never engaged <laughs> with Veggie Tales in my life, and I'm better for it. You're a youth Aww. master. Was, I, didn't I you have a class so on VeggieTales? No. We no, don't have to talk about no. that. Yeah. I just don't have the context of like a cucumber veggie in my tales I, head.
2: scrubs the sexuality of the book. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very Yes. it no. replaces it with Esther has to make the king <laughs> sandwich. a sandwich.
1: <laughs> oh <my laughs> Which is great. It's so It's great. fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
2: church kids. Am I right?
1: Yeah. And instead of being killed, you're sent to be tickled forever. It's the land. I I'd rather I be, be killed, re- if I could be honest. Yeah.
2: Killed or tickled, I'm picking, yeah. picking killed.
0: 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've done nothing to compel me to watch Veggie Tales or really read the <laughs> <laughs> book of Esther. So just FYI. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So uh, the funny thing about this book is that there's so many like little. I don't want to say like chances because obviously you know God is sovereign in this book but it's like uh hey remember that from chapter one it's coming back in this chapter Mm -hmm. remember this idea Mm -hmm. and 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 to me that is so awesome because a huge complaint I get a lot from students is the Bible's not relatable the Bible's hard to read the Bible is like it's it's a foreign outdated book but so many parts of life it's like a callback to another season of life and and that's something I love about Esther with like the dice and you know at one point the king reads the royal edicts (laughs) and And he's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, Mordecai helped me out that one time. Like I'm, you know, and it's like, Oh my gosh. Like I've totally had that moment where I, I'm reminded of something, but with that, man, there are a lot of things in this book that are so stinking old, uh, (laughs) like 187 day party or like, you know, all of the, the way that the harem and stuff works. So Sean, what are some of the ways that you're planning on bridging the gap between the world of Esther and our world in 2023?
2: Okay, so it is, there's a ton of culture there, right? There's a ton of culture um, that you have to kind of walk through, but I I do think that these people are actually really, really relatable. Um, I I do think, you know, the objectification of Esther being valued only for her beauty is something that I think a a modern woman could at least understand or or feel that. Um, I think the way that she is used by... um, the men around her is something that is current to our current world. I think the abuse of power is something that is familiar to the world that we're in today. I think vendettas and age old, um, uh, just hatreds that go on and gone is, is familiar to us as well. Uh, I, I think the questions it asks about where is God when everything seems to be going wrong. Yeah. That's a question for today as well. So yes, there's a ton of culture, but the people are very, they're still relatable. And I think that's part of the task is to help brush aside or explain the culture so that you can see the person. Because again, I think that with just a little bit of work, you're going to be able to see each character in the book and go, oh, I actually understand them because I've had that feeling or I understand that desire or I know someone like that or I've seen that situation happen even in my own present life. So I I do think it's relatable still.
0: Nikki. on your end, what are you most excited about being in Coastline for this teaching series?
1: Um, I think I, the sovereignty of God and where he is in circumstances is something that I've wrestled with for years, right? And and I think this, this story fascinates me when you read it. And I think, actually my favorite moment is the one that you brought up, Hunter, where it, Esther wants to, to ask the king to save her people. So she invites him and Haman to a banquet and then doesn't tell him or ask the request, but instead says, Come back tomorrow. And you don't know for sure if she's being strategic or if she's nervous. And either way, she cannot predict what happens in between those two banquets. And it's fascinating because that is so in between the two banquets, the king can't sleep. He has the the um I, what who is the he has one of his servants mm-hmm. read his history yeah. and he's reminded of how Mordecai saved his life months earlier and that moment changes everything mm-hmm. and so it's um if she had asked the request before that who knows would have happened but the fact that then she invited him to a second banquet and in between that God did something that changed really that's really shifted mm-hmm. the whole story and then she invites him back and now asks her request with him remembering that Mordecai saved his life that Mordecai's Jewish having just highlighted Mordecai like it just it's incredible where you see God was moving even the in the middle of her trying to move as well and and she could never have predicted the way that he was moving and so it mm-hmm. just to me speaks so highly to the sovereignty of God and how God is in those places that you could never anticipate. And so that's the stuff that I love is because I always love reminding people he is working even when Mm. you can't see it. Right. And I think you clearly see that play out. And
2: Esther is the book for that. In yeah, my opinion, yeah.
1: it's the book. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, I say this a lot on the podcast for some reason, but I'm always struck by in the Bible how consistently like the messages in the medium, like the, the genre that the author chooses or the language and the way that it's all formed, it, it really lends itself to like a deeper understanding of what God is doing. And the fact that God is not mentioned in the book of Esther is like potentially the most, is like a loud way to say like, just because it's not so clear mm-hmm. that God is in the story doesn't mean that God is not in the story. Yeah, And I think that is, you know, you guys have said it several times, like that's probably the most relatable part of the story. And that's the question that I think keep people coming back to this story of like, okay, if Esther, you know, went through all these things and the the name of God's not even mentioned once, then whatever I'm going through and I I can't sense God, I know that he's still in that.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's set up that way, right? So that you read the book and you ask the question, where is he? Yeah. Where is God? And that is the question for the book. You're right. Where is he? Mm -hmm. When everything's going wrong, when everything's chaotic. Where is he? And that's what Esther is trying to show you is even when you don't see him, he's still moving and working is still in control. I mean, that's for me one of the the themes that just jumps out of the book. It appears that Xerxes has power. It appears that Haman has power. It appears that the husbands of the women of Persia yeah, have the power. They have a it lot appears. Of power. Mm-hmm. It always appears it appears that Mordecai gets the power. And really, what you see is whoever you think has the power really doesn't. They lose it. They're unable to do what they want to do. It is God who is behind the scenes, who has all of the power, who's directing everything.
0: Yeah. And you know, there's like this maximalist push in Esther. Like everybody kind of acts as maximalist as possible. The feast is 187 days. They kill a bunch of people. And like, Mm -hmm. I think we are so used to a maximum God in the Bible. He's parting red seas. People are walking on water. You know, Mm -hmm. Jesus is raised from the dead and all those things. Clearly God is working. But like we rarely talk about like the nuances in which God moves and like Esther has all, there's the big of like changing the King's heart, but also like the little of like, it was because someone read him something like, Mm -hmm. it's so small, like in a sleepless night, he -hmm. changed the course of the history of these people. Mm -hmm. And God was in that small moment and in all the big moments as well, which makes it really relatable and really cool. Mm -hmm. So like, I think another thing that I experienced a lot in ministry is people are talking about their testimony and I don't want to give my testimony because not a crazy things Mm. never happened to me. You know, I never have had the diagnosis or the loss or the pain. And so my story is not worth it. But Nikki, you and I, you know, we've done youth ministry for a long time together. And at winter camp, uh, you know, at Rolling Hills, we used to have a lot of students give their testimony and we would always say the best ones were the ones where students could find God in the nuance and they can find God in the small things. And that's something I really hope that people can, in the book of Esther, as they reflect on their own stories, say, oh, God was also in the small things as well.
1: He's always present, right? right? I, even if you don't have some extreme life story, that's the beauty of God. That yeah. You don't have that story, mm-hmm. right? Like mm, that, that he's good. just always been guiding you and you've been following like that. Yeah.
2: Do you think we're going to see sing Waymaker in this series?
0: If I know Michael Barker, yes.
2: Even when I don't see it, you're working. <laughs> yeah. Even he's, when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop.
1: Are you asking for us to sing it?
2: I just don't. I mean, if... Have We really preached Esther if we haven't sung Waymaker.
0: Michael's not <laughs> in the question. office at the time of recording, but I imagine he's gonna like barrel in like Kramer because he's gonna say, Did you say Waymaker? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't even tell you if Michael likes that song or not. I don't know why I just was so pejorative towards Michael and Waymaker. That was that was very out of character. Um, I, I keep mentioning seminary because I think that's my most poignant experience with the book of Esther, but I remember at the same time I was taking a class on Esther, I was taking a class on biblical theology, which is the idea of all of the Bible working together in its unity and its diversity. So obviously we've talked about the diverse elements of Esther. It's super historical, very cultural, God's not mentioned once, the name of a woman. But Sean, from, from your perspective as a pastor, how are you hoping to show the congregation that Esther does fit in the grand story of the Bible that, that you said is pointing people towards Christ.
2: Yeah. Well, I I think, I don't know how I'm going to preach Christ. I just don't know yet. That's, I think the biggest, the things that stress me out about the, (laughs) about preaching this, I mean, we're going to have to get into, um, free will, um, election, um, sovereignty. Those are really big, hard things to, to preach. And to do it succinctly and to do it in the narrative book. So I'm nervous about that. I'm going to, how about this? This section, this question is going to be, what makes Sean scared? What makes Sean scared is preaching God's sovereignty. Heights. And and also. Clowns. (laughs) Spiders. (laughs) Spiders. (laughs) But also trying to figure out, uh, I think it's really, uh, it's easy to preach a big God who's controlling all things. I'm trying to figure out how I tie it to the cross. Uh, in a way that helps people in their everyday life again it's just so easy to teach a passage like this and give you a a bible lesson that's so easy to do it's really hard to kind of apply it to their life so that's the thing that I continually mull over is what is the message that God has for each and every person for that sophomore at south high for the kid who's flipping burgers at in and out for the kid who's scooping ice cream on the corner of Sepulveda and western What's the message for them?
0: You're really banking on a lot of kids listening to these sermons. <laughs> I know. And as someone who preaches to kids often, I can tell you they're not going to listen. You know, they're out on the They'll playground the or 10 the loft. And
2: then-
1: <laughs> they're going to
0: they're gonna not care at all about what you say, I promise you. It's more like the adult mm-hmm. who's driving their kids to the kid flipping burgers in and out. <laughs> That's the question. It, this is valuable. This is a valuable discussion. And I think what's really important for our people to hear and the people listening to hear is that like, we don't just preach books of the Bible that we think we know and that we're like experts in. And it's like, oh, I've I've crushed Esther before. And you know, it's really cool, Sean, to hear you talk about the things that you're nervous about preaching about. Like, I really think that is so, so incredible and very illuminating because I think as a pastor, you're seen as the public expert on theology mm-hmm. and like if you go up on stage like you better know what the book of Esther is
2: talking about that's why we have the nerds yeah man yeah. like honestly the, i mean we kindly call them the family theologians but <laughs> i mean honestly um one of my hopes for the podcast is that we can get andrew and janine yeah. on here and to have them explore some of the big things because um all our gifts are different yeah my gifts are, are i think preaching and teaching but the theology of it. I need to go to them as well and go, help me think through this. Help me understand this. Take me, um, walk me through kind of some of the thinking on some of the stuff. So um, it's a challenge for sure, but yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited about it. And again, I tried to get us to preach something else, <laughs> but everybody was like, this is the book. And I, and I really believe it is. I really think it's the right book. I'm I'm so excited, but it's going to be a challenge. And I think it will be interesting. If you ever sometimes get lost in a sermon and you get bored in it. I don't think that's going to happen in the series because it's such a fascinating narrative. Mm -hmm. It's such a fascinating Mm -hmm. story. Um, And uh, it will be a series that would really encourage you. Like if you miss a week, dude, I totally get it. You should listen to the sermon because it will be hard to catch the next weeks. If you don't get the one before you'll just get lost in the story.
0: Very serialized. Like what happens in two is is very dependent on one. And it's a tight seven weeks. Yeah. Oh, seven week
2: series. It's going to be quick. Uh, but I think it will be good for everybody to kind of commit yourself. Even if you can't be at church every week, make sure you listen to the sermon each week because you'll need it for to really get all of it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's, we can talk a little bit about the podcast in this um, Esther series. We're going to follow the series fairly closely here on the podcast um, next week. Really exciting. We're going to be talking to an actual Old Testament professor at Biola mm-hmm. about the book of Esther some of the deeper theological questions that we have that like you know Andrew and Janine are the family theologians mm-hmm. but you know this guy's an Old Testament theologian. So this is going to be a really interesting discussion about like the ins and outs. And then, yeah, we're going to get the nerds on to talk about God's sovereignty and things like that. And then we'll be interviewing various people who have connections to this part of the world now and Mm -hmm. how the book of Esther is relevant to our story as 21st century Christians and how it was relevant to them as, you know, Jewish people living in this time. So this is going to kind of be a holistic experience for coastline. And it's because we really believe in this message and we're really, really excited about it. Um, And so my last question for both of you is, you know, Nikki, you, I know you were reading Esther and you were kind of studying a little bit for this episode. Sean, you've obviously done a lot of research. What is one thing that you've learned in your reading and reflecting on the book of Esther? What's one thing that you're taking away even before the sermon series starts that you're just really, really excited about?
2: You
1: said your name first. I yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I kind of said mine, but I... I don't know. I, I just, I, I do really love that she is relatable and it is a story where um, I think the pain of that women often experience is highlighted and yet there you, you see that God still sees them. And to me, that is, I think why women resonate with this mm-hmm. is we feel seen because of the story and Um, and so I guess I'm excited for women to feel encouraged and valued and highlighted a little bit. Um, even though the story isn't only about Esther, but the experiences that she goes through, I think are painful and also, um, amazing at the same Mm. time. Right. And, and so I, I think a lot of women will resonate with that.
2: Nice yeah, I, I think for me, I'm ex, I'm excited for people to kind of explore the idea that even if your life is not going according to plan, even if you've experienced confusion or loss, even if it feels like somehow, um, your story has jumped the tracks in a sense and is careening down a hill some in some sort of way, um, that that's actually not what's happening. That God is still present and is still moving. And He's actually still directing your life, even if you can't see it in the present. I and mean, I'm just, I mean, just think about think about that for a moment. That it doesn't matter how off track your life either you take it, number one, or hap- how much it gets taken off track by somebody else. It's never outside of God's direction and steering and leading. Mm. And at times, that craning down the hillside with your life is exactly where God wants you to be, um, even though if it feels like He's totally absent. What an encouraging thought that I think is for us is just we live lives of, um, you know, where where it's not always a straight line of it gets better tomorrow and better tomorrow. What a hopeful thing to to know that. And if we really knew that, if we really trusted that, how much would that change so much about our faith and how we live and how much more joy would we be able to take actually in uh, in, in all things? So that's why I'm hoping for people.
0: And it seems particularly poignant in the beginning of a year where you're yep. thinking about how you're, oh, this is the year. Oh, yeah. I'm going to stay on track finally. Sure. And then you read the book of Esther. You're like, I wonder if Esther said this is my year <laughs> and <then> all this <laughs> stuff happened. But, you know, it happened and here we are. And so your year is going to look a particular way. And hopefully the book of Esther is a really good way to start it.
2: Right. And like Esther, I think between Esther, like one and two, chapter one and two, there's like seven years mm. between those two Like, it's like a really long time of her just going like, what is happening? You know, so it's those seasons can be really long. Yeah. And that party is really long in the beginning. 187 days.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is that's almost as long as a party I've ever been to.
2: Would you want to go to a party of 187 days? Sounds
0: awful. My life's a party, baby.
2: (laughs) Been living it for years. Man, if I can make it to a party till 10 o'clock, people in my life are generally impressed. Like, well, you're here late. A little less. 187 days. Well, I was going back and listening to
0: some old podcasts uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was listening to the one that we did when we moved from more uh, evenings to mornings. And I asked everybody around the table, are you a morning or an evening person? And Sean said, after 10 p.m., I'm the worst version of myself. <laughs> and so I'd love to see the worst version of you at 187 day party. Just a monster. <laughs> day, day 180. You're like, <laughs> it's like Lord <laughs> of the Flies, just you. And that's a funny image to end on. Sean oh, go. going absolutely <laughs> feral at a 187 day party. Thank you guys so much for jumping on the podcast. Uh, and we are excited to begin the book of Esther here at Coastline Covenant Church.
2: We'll see you next week. Okay, guys, talk to you later. <laughs>